The Evolving Leader is a series that shares insights into the never-ending journey of leadership and entrepreneurship. Join us as Three Pillars CEO David DeWolf talks with peers who have been instrumental in his own leadership journey. Thanks for joining us for episode two of The Evolving Leader. We're pleased to welcome Bobby Christian to the studio for the first of what will be a two-part episode on the stages of growth and the different demands they place on leaders. Bobby was kind enough to make the trip up to DC all the way from Charleston, South Carolina, where he's the COO of DeepWatch. DeepWatch provides early detection and response to cyber threats, which we'll get a chance to hear more about. He served as Three Pillars Chief Growth Officer from 2009 to 2013, and he was an informal advisor to David in the very early days of Three Pillar. In an official capacity leading Three Pillar Sales Organization, he helped the company grow from $5 million to $25 million in annual revenue. Welcome to the podcast, Bobby. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Will. Absolutely. So, David, let me ask, you received an email from Bobby in 2012 that covered yep. the stages of growth that was kind of instrumental in, in your you know, view of leadership. Yep. I, I have it here. Do you mind reading it so that we can, we can use that as the, as the jumping off point? <laughs> yeah, it's, Jump right it's in. funny because this email came in... Um, Bobby and I had been talking a lot about my own evolution mm -hmm. as a leader. And I, I mentioned in the first episode, right, that I'd gone from being a producer to having to learn to manage to then Bobby taught me how to sell for the first time to then how do you become a leader? And he actually backed up and gave me even more perspective through this email. And so th this is what you said, Bobby. And yeah. uh, I want to see if you still agree with it. Yeah. So zero to two million in revenue is about guts and waking up early and staying up late. Two to five million is about the will to win, a little luck, and even harder work. Five to 10 million is about figuring out a model, a little leverage, and believing more than those around you. 10 to 25 million is about convincing a few people better than you in a respective competency to take a chance on the future and importantly, on you. 25 to 50 million is about getting the entrepreneurial spirit to integrate with the operational excellence. And 50 to 200 million is about blocking, tackling, scaling, and building teams to collaborate and not kill each other. <laughs> and 200 million is out of my league and for other people, is what you said. Amen. I'm exhausted just listening to that email. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've gone through that journey yeah. multiple times. I have, yeah. And um, I'm not sure, like, I, that wasn't um, quotes or anything. I think that was just going through this journey a couple times and then going through it with you and, like, stepping back. And, and I think when I wrote that, that was at a time of, like, hey, when we started this thing together and we were kind of going down the road together, you had a um, smaller vision, smaller dream. And then I just saw this play out from, from the zero to two, two to five, five to 10. Then when we got to 25 million, I just thought, wow, it's always great to look back. So everything that I wrote there, I think still applies. Still applies. One to one. Um, the, the over 200 million for me still applies <laughs> for sure. You're an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I think 25 to 100 million is probably my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And after you get over 100 million in any, any kind of company, it's more about scale, doing more of the same, mm -hmm. um, which is why, and I knew you would be great at it. I knew you would be much better the bigger the company got. Um, <laughs> I wasn't that yeah. very good at the beginning, no, is were, what he's saying. It was, it was experience, your first first shot, I mean, at doing this, you know, but at, at each level, I could see how your leadership was playing into a more 
um, alignment, I would say, with you being the CEO of a larger company and, and, and the decisions that you made. So mm. it all applies, and I will tell you, you've gotten, it just gives me incredible pride to just look at you and say, wow, this guy's now running a major company now from that email to now. So it's exciting. It's crazy to look back on the journey. You said specifically that 25 to 100 million is your sweet spot. Yeah. What, what is it? What, what is your genius and what is your passion that allows you to thrive there? Yeah, I think if, if you, and it can be a little earlier, but um, I think that once the model um, has been established and you know that the addressable market is there and you know that you can actually do something productive, you're not trying to figure that out. Like somebody's already kind of gone through and de-risk a lot of that. So you're just at a point where you have a good product, you have a good service, and you just kind of need to come in and step back and say, okay, now how do we actually um, accelerate this? Mm. So how do we how do we reorganize the people um, on the sales and marketing side, on the go-to-market side? How do you support that? So really companies only do three things, and I always say this, you sell stuff, you deliver stuff, and then you support those two functions. Yep. So you simplify it and you say, how in the heck can we sell this more effectively? How can we deliver on the promise? And then everybody else, you're supporting those two functions. And it's not genius. It literally is just looking at that and saying, how do we do this more effectively? Um, with the people side probably being the most important. So I, I still remember our very first all hands meeting where you stood up and you you did exactly that. Yeah. You sell stuff, you <laughs> deliver stuff, and you support, support it. Stuff. Right. I was gonna I, ask, we're a little constrained by the mics, but I still remember that breakfast. It was at the Waterford out in, in Fairfax. <laughs> You know, if you simplify things in threes uh, <laughs> and you deliver, a, you know, a message that way, everyone, so many people have said, I just remember that you oversimplified everything that we do. I thought it was like, you know, software development is complex, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's just what we're doing and you have to sell it and you have to deliver on it and you have to support it. So <laughs> it's funny that you even remember that. <laughs> it made a lasting impression, obviously. Yeah, but right. so, so Bobby, let me ask you, take us all the way back to the beginning of your yeah, relationship with David. How, how did you guys? meeting yeah um i had just um sold my co my first company mm -hmm. um, true north solutions um to american systems which is a local federal integrator here and um bill hoover is the ceo there who's still a mentor me to this day but um so he um i had hired um one of my customers one of my clients um, um jeff henton um I just closed a deal with him and I said, hey, who is the best salesperson that you've ever worked, that's ever worked for you? And he said, Gina McCabe. And I said, oh, great. So I hired Gina. And then when Gina came in from her company, I said, who is the smartest person at your company? And she goes, David DeWolf. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, can you set up a lunch for me, um, for David? And so the three of us went to lunch and we went to an Italian restaurant with with the white um, tablecloth, the paper tablecloth, and we were just whiteboarding all over the place. Those man. crayons like, were going crazy. I mean, <laughs> it was like an hour lunch turned into two hours, turned into like, and, and at the end it was just scribble everywhere. And uh, and David said, man, uh, you know, I, I wanna come work for you. He's like, I would love to come work for you, but um, I'm, I kinda started my own business and I I'm, I'm wanna be an entrepreneur and kinda tired of being where you know, companies are being acquired and I wanna do my own thing. And I'm an entrepreneur first, and I wanted to hire David. And I said, hey, listen, I'm going to suggest that you do that because I think you'll be a great entrepreneur. As much as I'd like to hire you to come on board, I think, I think you'll be a great leader. And I could just tell in the first 30 seconds that I met him that he had something that was special. So I said, you should just go do that. And then he, I said, I'll do anything I can to help. Like, I'll help you. Like, so if you reach out to me. And so he was, so that's how it started. Okay. That was the yep. beginning of the relationship. And I thought, okay, this person will never talk to me again. <laughs> <laughs> Little did he know, it's going to be a leech. <laughs> yeah, no. 
and uh, and then so that's that was the beginning. Yeah. Well, yeah. so what's interesting is I still remember that moment too, and and I see it from the different side of the coin. I remember Bobby saying to me, "Listen, you can have this job, but you're going to have a heck of a lot more fun, yeah. and you're going to be so much more successful if you go out on your own and do what you're thinking about doing." And that was meaningful to me, like the selfless nature of that, and for him to speak into my life that way when literally we had known each other for two hours. Yeah. Um, and he literally, as we walked out the door, handed me a business card and said exactly what he just said, which is, "If you ever need anything at all, I'm an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. I want to be helpful. Let me know how I can help." And I don't know. I was great at the beginning of following up, but I, probably every six months or so at the very oh, no, beginning, you, you were very respectful. I, that was one of the other things when you meet someone, and 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 you always say, "Oh, I hope I can stay in touch with that person because he was special." And he was so respectful of my time. He would organize it with my executive assistant. He would bring his business partner at that time. We would meet at this Marriott, and he would come with a list of questions, and typed up, and he would sit there and ask me the questions, and I would respond and just kind of off the cuff. And then, you know, a month or two later, he would call me again and he would come back and he would literally say, this is everything that I did in the follow up these 20 things. <laughs> I have 10 more questions. And then that became five more questions. And, <laughs> and that's how we, and it just yeah. developed that way. And I loved it because I hear somebody that, I, you know, this is the first time I'd sold my company and I was in a leadership role. And it was really the first person who I'm like, wow, th this person is doing exactly what I did five years ago right. and doing it way better than I am because how, how diligent he was. And, and again, just respectful. And it was just a good, good rapport and good relationship yeah. probably for a year. Yeah, year, year and a half. Two um, years maybe, yeah. Yeah, it, it was really until I, I remember the moment, and I was so nervous, my heart was beating. I heard through the rumor mill um, before it was publicly announced that Bobby had resigned from American Systems. Yeah. And I made a call to him. I couldn't catch him, but I wanted to be the first one to <laughs> offer him a job. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so I called him up, and I leave a message. And I think I probably just spilled my guts on the message. I was so nervous calling him. Yeah, this is back when people left voicemails. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Texting. Yeah, no texting. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but literally said, hey, I want you to come work with me. Come be my partner. And I offered him 30% of the business, right? You did. To come do that. And he wanted over, to... Wait, over voicemail? Uh, no, think... no, no, no. When we talked. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. This is a voicemail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, now, this is, the, this, is, this is, again, this is a great story. I, I want yeah. you to finish this. But he also wanted me to be the CEO of, yeah. of the company that he'd been building. So yep. I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Yep. Yeah. So I just saw this incredible entrepreneur that I wanted to learn from. And every now and then in business, you have these amazing opportunities. And I felt like we had built the rapport that, hey, there was a chance, right? And if you don't ask... They can't say yes. And the result of that conversation was Bobby, once again, selfless, like <laughs> unbelievable what I've learned from Bobby in terms of just investing in others. Um, exactly like at that first lunch meeting, he looks at me and he goes, David, you're going to be an even better CEO than I would be. Yep. This is your business. And I don't want 30% of the business. That's ridiculous. You should never give that much equity away. <laughs> um, and he ended up taking less than 5%. And he ended up not only joining our board formally, um, but also coming and, and for a period of time worked for me. And I was so humbled that this man that I looked up to as a mentor and a leader that I wanted to be like and learn from was willing to do that and to come serve and help me become who he thought I could be. And that was just a really powerful experience. Yeah. And it was a blast for me. I mean, that was my first, after going through the whole life cycle of building a company um, with my business partner, Mike Volk, selling it, 
um, splitting it apart, divesting it, and then staying with the company that acquires for four years. So I'd been through the whole life cycle, and that was really my first um, entrance back into sort of what do I want to do next. And I just said, you know, I, I want to work with and for to somebody else that has more capacity and, and more capability than I do, and just get him through those early stages. And um, and it just worked, man. And so it, it, it was just, magic. Uh, yeah. So let, you, you two have a lot of shared experiences, obviously, and I want to dig into some of those uh, specifically yeah. as relates to the, clean. To, to, the, to the growth <laughs> stages. Um, but so, so David, in one of the growth phases, Bobby references the ten million to twenty-five million, the ten million to twenty-five million dollar range being all about convincing a few people who are better than you are to take a chance mm -hmm. on you. Do you remember a time or two when that happened? You know, I, I I often say that the most unconsciously competent decision I ever made, right, just by happenstance, was very early on. I convinced Bobby, Ed Johnson, and Michael Deering to come yeah. be the foundation of my board. And I established that board, a true fiduciary board of directors, before we had a million dollars in revenue and we had like six yeah. employees. And my thinking at that point in time, Bobby, was I've never run a business. In fact, I had never managed anybody before yeah. that point in time. You hadn't been a leader yet. Never been a leader. If I can't convince three people that I really respect and look up to that my idea is the right idea. Who also like you. <laughs> then I, it's in my best interest to listen to them, right? And I yeah. really wanted to learn. So I went out and tried to build the best board I could ever uh, build and a real professional board. And so I picked people that were sitting on professional VC-backed boards in order to yeah. do that. And that was a game changer to me. I mean, to have you and then Mary Dreedy joined uh, shortly thereafter. Yeah. To have those of you that have been there, done that, advising me, speaking to me, investing in me as a leader, that really was key. And then we did the exact same thing with our executive team, right? Yeah. We continually over the years were able to find these leaders that never should have come and worked for <laughs> Three Pillar, but did exactly what Bobby did, right? Said, hey, I want to be part of something special and let's go do this together, right? Ken Quaglia was was a great example. Yeah, one of the earliest yeah. uh, ones that we brought in that I learned just a ton from. The, uh, the funny thing is I was learning a ton as well because <laughs> I, I had established a board, um, but the board was only um, in, in place for maybe two board meetings before we sold um, True North Solutions with Mike Volk. But I just remember thinking to myself, you have uh, probably a better board than some companies that are, you know, billion dollar companies. I mean, Mike Deering was a game changer. Unbelievable. Um, Ed was just, their perspective, the diversity, Mary, like the, the way that they worked and interacted and the way they advised you now. Now there's an important point here about this whole thing, getting from 10 to 25 and beyond that with that decision. Mm -hmm. And that is someone to actually listen um, when, you're, mm -hmm. when you're getting advice. It takes a special person. Usually um, CEOs, entrepreneurs are usually um, not as good at listening and taking advice. Mm. And I think that's been one of the keys to your success is that you, even if we disagreed, which which happened quite a bit, quite frankly, um, yep. where we had to go to corners and-, and, and <laughs> We uh, had to really come back, fights, You dude. come back when you're when you're ready to talk, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but being able to come back and say, okay, this is, we're doing this because we always had the lens of what's best for the company. And, yep. um, and even though there were hard decisions, you listen. Yeah. Um, it, and again, even if you disagreed, you would yeah. sometimes do things yeah. that you didn't agree with, and then you always let me know if I was wrong. One of the breakthrough ideas that I remember, um, and I'll, I'll never forget the board meeting. We were all sitting there 
early, early on, right? We're this commercial product development business, but we're in DC. And so we always get the question about government business. Do you need government yeah, business? Yeah, and we yeah. started building a little government practice. We had acquired a company that had some great, um, uh, both leadership and, and accounts in the government space. And at one of our board meetings, Ed Johnson looks at us. He goes, David, Nobody can ride two horses. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Ed is this Texan serial yeah. entrepreneur, like built a soul, cowboy I mean, looking guy, very yeah, Texan. Yeah, yeah. Nobody can ride two horses. <laughs> I remember walking out of that and saying, "That is a breakthrough." And and we ended the government business. We stopped that, right? Yeah, we, we just pulled out of it, yeah, let yeah. let it divest over time. Yeah, game changing because of the focus that it gave us. But here we were, we walked in, I think you and I were both into, hey, it's really healthy to have two parts of our business yeah, and the economic cycle. risk and this. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to the have- Genius entrepreneurs in the room alone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that was a game changer for us. And that type of focus, right? he taught me not only the specific government business decision, but the abstract idea of focus at that point in time. Yeah, and that's one of the hardest it's not, uh, you know, when we talk about all these phases, if you work hard, I believe this sincerely, if you work hard enough and surround yourself with good people, you can do this zero to 50 million thing, I think. Uh, but um, it's not doing that. What's the hardest thing to do is to say no, because there's, once you get to 25 million, you have all these opportunities that come your way. And I, we call them shiny objects. Like, don't look at that shiny object, man. <laughs> just, just ignore it, you know, because there's just so many things that you could do. So saying no becomes more important at that phase than, than figuring out what the yes is. So No so, doubt. I've never ridden two horses to this day. <laughs> Ed would be proud. <laughs> Ed would be proud. He is proud. No doubt. So, Bobby, let me ask you, do you remember a few instances where people or companies took a chance on three pillar, you know, in the early days that, that really made you kind of sit up and say, like, OK, wow, this is we're, we're going to build something right here. Yeah, I mean, we um, man, we closed a lot of deals that we probably shouldn't even been in, you know, right. and, and I think the uh, I think Probably the first one is Federal Home Loan Bank, Office uh -huh. of Finance, um, because that's just such a nice brand, if you will. Um, and they have, you know, 12, 13 locations around the country. So starting with the Office of Finance, and that was, I think, our, close to one of our first seven-figure deals um, mm -hmm. overall. Maybe, maybe not quite. It was the one. largest deal at the time. It was just under, under a million, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think when you get that first one that's approaching a million dollars with that level of responsibility and what we were doing for them, um, I think that was like the beginning of like, wow, this is really working. And, yeah. and you could see the wheels turning and the way the teams were coming together. So I think that, that, that one was, that one felt good. That yeah. first one where we're like, we just like, yeah, we got this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'd be curious to hear from you both that the, your original email was written almost 10 years ago. Yeah. I'm sure that, that, that you know, a lot is still relevant and a lot still holds true. Yeah. The world has changed quite a bit since then. You know, in, in what ways have the phases of growth changed? I think I think it depends on the type of company. I think I, I've had the luxury now of building a, a value-added reseller business, a services business, a product business, and now a tech-enabled service business. Um, I think those phases, the, the revenue changes a little bit in terms of what that phase is, but those phases are the same. Um, for, for me personally, the reason I moved the needle to 25 million is because that that is probably the hardest that, that zero to 25 million is really the hardest because it's just 
it's just, you know, waking up and um, getting up one more time and dusting yourself off, you know, than, than anyone else. And so, so you, you, as you get a little bit more mature, you realize like, that's a lot of fun, but I'm also not 25 years old anymore. <laughs> I need some so, sleep. And I, do, and I value my, my time now. So I think the phases are the same. Um, I, I think, you know, and David and I have even um, toyed around about just developing some, um, you know, a book or a white paper or whatever of, take those phases and then what happens in leadership like in those phases mm -hmm. and I really thought about this a lot David since we were preparing for this and I, I will tell you um, the leadership principles are the same they're, they're common denominator so the hard decisions that you make from zero to two million are the same decisions that you have to make they're just actually more impactful because you mm -hmm. have people now that you're responsible, a lot more people that you're responsible for. But I've thought about this a lot and I'm like, the reason I think we got along so well is because from the very beginning, the leadership principles, the pillars that, I, I, no pun intended, the <laughs> pillars um, are, were the same. You right. just did the same thing over and over again, but but you were doing it at that next level yeah. with sur being surrounded by people that could really keep you off two horses. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, and, and as you go through that, what you find is while the playbook repeats itself, to your point, it's about greater impact and greater scale. And you get more and more abstracted from the ground. Yeah. And so you go from, hey, the first lesson of leadership is how to lead directly, mm. to then you're leading managers, to then you're leading leaders who are leading managers, to then, right, and you just get further and further away. And so the scale requires different tools and techniques, but the same principles, but you yes. have to do it at abstracted layers, right? The other thing I've found that, that also changes as you go through these inflection points is the velocity with which you go through it also matters a lot. Mm. And there's different points in a company's history or different companies where you're accelerating at different paces. To go through one of those inflection points over the course of three years, is wildly different than going through it in three months, yes. right? Yeah. And over the past two years, we've almost tripled this business, Go plowing through two phases at once, basically, really requires a different mindset to digest that than some of the other phases where we went through it a little bit slower. So keeping in mind that scale, the abstraction, but also the velocity, how do you get better and better at identifying here comes another inflection point? How do I prepare for it and then plow through it? Yeah, I mean, especially where you are now with doing M&A and, and acquisitions where you roll in, I mean, that, that changes everything. It's no, going from organic growth um, to now we're gonna acquire companies and integrate them. Um, again, that's a different type of leadership and a different mm -hmm. type of leader that's required. So you've managed to actually go through all those phases successfully, which mm. is unbelievable, quite frankly. Yeah. yeah. So, so I want to ask a question there, David, on on acquisitions because they were yeah a key part of Three Pillars early growth. Sure. I actually, got to, I worked at Three Pillar or I came to work at Three yeah. Pillar because of an acquisition. Mm -hmm. Yes, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but so we are, so, we are as well. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Yeah. You know, uh, ten years later, here we are. Uh, but but so what what's your role for yeah for for how an acquisition you know kind of fuels growth and how do you manage the immediate aftermath of one when yep. you're trying to ride two horses or in the case of the acquisitions <laughs> you've made over the last year and a half, yeah. four horses. Right. <laughs> well, I think the key is making sure that it's the same horse. You're just making the horse bigger. bigger that's right. right. <laughs> so that focus lesson still applies. You know, there's a couple things there. I, I think first and foremost, it's really critical that you have a platform and a foundation that is growing organically and that your inorganic growth 
is complementary to a strategy, it's not a unique strategy in itself. And that goes back to that idea of focus in the horses, right? Um, you can only have one of them. But the other thing, and, and I'd actually be really interested in Bobby's perspective on this, because one of the things we fought about early on uh, was culture. Mm. Um, I'm very purposeful about building culture. I believe you craft culture. And I remember fighting my, you can't, you can't create culture. Um, it happens, right? It's the natural behaviors. And that was my line. Th that, like, yeah. <laughs> if you try to create culture, um, then, then it can be um, unauthentic. You know, you, yeah. you, it's very hard to create culture. Yeah. It just happens as a, as a result yeah. of, who, it's like, you know, through osmosis almost. So. You guys might have yeah. to go to your corners. We, we, we might. We we did. Did. <laughs> Plenty of times. Like yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll let you keep going on this, yeah. but I, I would, you know, if you if you try to force that, especially early on, um, as the company's really kind of finding itself, it is difficult, you know, but he wouldn't let it go. And yeah. I respect, I mean, you, you, you powered through it, you know, so yeah. continue on though, yeah. Well, so M&A, one of the core things that I think so many people miss is the cultural component. The one veto that exists in any one of our acquisition processes is if it's not a culture fit, we're not going to do it. Too many people look at the balance sheet. Too many look, people look at the financials and they look at financial return and that's it. The financial return is 10 times better if there's a culture fit, right? And the risk is so much lower. And so being cognizant about that, we we curate culture. We are very intentional. And for me, even culture changes as you scale and grow. Absolutely does. Yeah. Here's the key. What's consistent in culture has to be the purpose and the values. The ideology, the principle behind it plays out different at every stage. And I think that's what you and I never got to the bottom of 10 years ago yeah. was that we both believe in values, in principles, in the consistency of character, right? In certain fundamental beliefs, we wanted to live those and to make those come to life, but they come to life in wildly different ways at different points of scale. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, we it was interesting. We did four acquisitions while I was there, under twenty-five million, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so, we put the original platform of the business together with a couple of little, yeah, like so, very small, three-person, twenty-person yeah. businesses. Arch architected right? the 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 picture, and then and then said, okay, we need something to fill this spot and fill that spot. So we had four, five different companies, um, in a period of zero to twenty-five in that phase um, before I left. So I think it was four acquisitions. Yeah. If, I, if I'm that's right, that right. One global, two, a, one, a couple global, or one yeah. global, um, and then three, three. Um, the two US global, days. two domestic, and that was the foundation we built. And then we organically grew it from 2011 to 2020 without any other acquisitions. So Which is crazy, yeah. Put that platform together and then really create that machine. 2020, we turned the M&A machine back on and started right. to fuel that growth. But back to the back to the uh, cultural thing. Think about five different companies being plugged into a platform and then having one uniform culture that was tough yep. so it needed to bake for a little while before it really got and, and a lot of people a lot of people left um yeah. through those phases because it's not always good for them and that's another thing that's difficult yeah. is when people leave you know but it's not for everyone so yeah, yeah well well lots to pick up on for episode three of the podcast we're going to take this as a demarcation point and declare episode two to be continued so tune into the next episode as we continue the conversation with David DeWolf and Bobby Christian around the stages of growth and ways that leaders need to evolve and mature to match the growth of their companies. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Bobby. Pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of The Evolving Leader. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating, a glowing review, and a share on whichever social media networks you call home. 
For more on the podcast and to view video of each episode, please visit daviddewolf.com slash podcast.